Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Thank you, friends. Thank you. Uh, welcome to Baptism Sunday, everyone, whether you're uh, in this room here this morning or perhaps you're joining us from somewhere sunny online. Uh, but like Leah said, I'm Pastor Dave, and I'm just so excited to be here. And before I begin, I want to acknowledge something, and it's I'm not embarrassed to be up here. I'm not ashamed to be up here. I'm not blushing. But like many people in the valley this weekend, I got a little gluttonous with the sun. So I got a little extra sun, but I'm excited to be here with you all for Baptism Sunday. So like Leah said, we got a bunch of people getting dunked into that service. We got more worship at the end of service. I know we probably caught you off guard with one song up front, um, but we're excited. So I'm actually going to jump right in um, with a word that I really feel that God put on my heart a few weeks ago to share with all of you today. So I'm going to start by sharing three words, and these three words may evoke uh, different emotions around the room or online. Uh, maybe it, you might laugh, uh, it might be some regret, or maybe some remorse. Uh, but those three words are cabbage soup, diet. Now, I heard some laughs around the room, so I know that there's people in here that might have a love-hate a relationship with the cabbage soup diet, but I know I was at a place in my life where I was looking to make some uh, physical changes. It also might have been due to the fact that I was at a period of my life where I was going to be asking my then-girlfriend, Becky, to marry me, so I needed all the help I thought I could get, uh, and that's what, where I got introduced into the cabbage soup diet. Now, another word for the cabbage soup diet uh, which should have been a flag to me and, and most people that read it, is the heart-patient diet. Now, the reason they call it the heart-patient diet is it's a diet protocol that cardiologists uh, will prescribe to their patients who need heart surgery but are too heavy for the operating table. And, and so the fact that it should probably be monitored by a cardiologist should have been enough of a flag. And I'll say right up front, uh, the best diet for you is a healthy, well-rounded diet. Now, that being said, the premise behind the cabbage soup diet is that you'd make this giant pot of soup that had so much cabbage, uh, onions, celery, uh, carrots. Uh, it was like, I'm talking the biggest pot of cabbage soup you've ever seen in your life, okay? And uh, for those of you that are willing to admit that you partook in this diet, you'll remember that there was a point when you'd be making this giant pot of soup where you'd think to yourself, <laughs> this, looks, this looks pretty good. Like, it smells pretty good, and it looks healthy. Like, I think I'm going to enjoy this giant pot of soup. And there was a, uh, a weekly program that you had to follow while you ate this soup, and it was that uh, on Mondays, you were allowed to eat as much fruit as you wanted, uh, but no bananas. Don't you dare eat a banana, and as much soup as you could handle. And the ideology was this soup was so calorie-poor but so high in like fiber that your body was supposed to burn more energy than the soup provided. And on Tuesdays, you were allowed to eat as many vegetables as you wanted and as much soup as you wanted. Now it was around Tuesday, day two, that you'd actually start thinking to yourself, okay, maybe if I blended this into like a puree, I could just like plug my nose and drink it and it'll be tolerable. Wednesday was as much, uh, as much fruit and vegetables, and you guessed it, as much cabbage soup as you could handle. Thursday was an interesting day. Thursday was as many bananas as you wanted, as much skim milk as you wanted, and you guessed it, cabbage soup. Friday, you were allowed a steak 
exciting day Friday, up to six tomatoes, not seven, six, and cabbage soup. If you made it to Saturday, uh, you were allowed beef, vegetables, and as much soup as you wanted. And man, congratulations. If you made it all the way to Sunday, you were allowed brown rice, sugar-free juice, which is only like natural cranberry juice and grapefruit juice. And you guessed it, good old faithful, as much cabbage soup as you could handle. Now, it sounds ridiculous saying it now, uh, but that was the cabbage soup diet. And I can say honestly that I never made it to the steak day. Uh, I don't think I knew Thursday or Friday. I would get, I'd eat all the fruit, all the vegetables. I'd eat no bananas. And I would quit because it was horrible. It was not sustainable. It was not actually a good plan. And you know, I actually never made any of the changes I wanted to make either. Right? I didn't see any changes to my body. I didn't see any changes uh, to my habits. You know, and you might have uh, some stories in your own life of some of the audacious things that you pursued uh, trying to change yourself or change your behavior. And as I was writing this message, uh, I was, had some time away with our family, and I was looking over my laptop at our oldest, our soon-to-be 10-year-old daughter, Shane, and I couldn't help but just stop and ad- admire the, really the amazing young woman that she's becoming. And I also just couldn't help but think, man, do I want to be a better man for her? Like, I'd want to be a better dad for her. I want to be just an amazing faith-filled example of a man in her life. And then it kind of hit me that, that who I am as a man and who I am as, as her dad and who I am as a husband uh, to her mom uh, really matters. It actually matters more than, than what I do. And, and I know that a lot of us... Uh, actually want to have some change in our life, and we have this desire to, I think, improve and be better. And that's what I actually want to talk about this morning, is change. So I was doing some reading uh, in preparation for this message, and I was reading about change, and what I found really interesting is when we try to change our behavior, um, we do it through three phases. And think of it like rings on a target, and the outside ring is outcomes. And outcomes are the things that we're hoping to get, the results we're hoping to get, and a lot of the goals that we create are based on outcomes. And if you move into the second ring, uh, the second ring is process. And process is all about our systems. It's what we're gonna do. Uh, A lot of the habits that we try to create are related to the process ring. And then finally, thirdly, the most inner ring is our identity. It's, It's who we are. It's our sense of self, it's our world view, it's what we believe. And so outcomes are based on what we get, process is based on what we do, and identity is based on, on who we are. And a lot of the, the change that we try to make uh, is in that order, that, that we set a goal, a numerical goal based on an outcome, we try to create a process to achieve that goal, and by achieving that goal, essentially what we think will happen is that, that we will change. I want to lose 20 pounds outcome by eating only cabbage soup for seven days process. And by doing so, I'm going to be, I guess, happier outcome. And what the research is finding is that uh, there's identity-based change and outcome-based change. And that identity-based change, changing actually who we are and what we believe, is actually far more effective. It's why things like visualization, uh, affirmations, positive thinking are gaining popularity because fundamentally what we believe is really important. 
And so an example to contrast those two trains of thought is say someone has set a goal to run a marathon. That's the outcome. Versus the person who actually just wants to become a runner. And so fundamentally, uh, what we believe is very paramount. And I think in the modern day, we actually have this, this identity crisis, that we actually struggle with this identity crisis because we're caught between two worlds. Uh, one is uh, the wor- the, what the world says we should be or what we think the world says we should be and what, who God actually says we are. And we're conflicted constantly between these two, these two ideas. It's been explained as secular salvation. And it's this idea that, uh, the world, that the world's trying to change us from the outside in, that if we just, uh, if we just work hard enough, if we just keep grinding, if we just crush those goals, if I follow this step, if I just execute this plan, then, and only then, will I actually feel complete, that I'll feel uh, that I am who I'm supposed to be. And we've coined it, there's actually a term, which is secular salvation. And it's that idea that, that if you just be your best self, that maybe you started at the bottom and you've worked your way to the top. Maybe you were an underdog and all the odds were stacked against you, but you found a way to believe in yourself and overcome and you made it. We've made countless movies based on on these people that we celebrate in our culture. And and unfortunately, where that starts to fall apart is realizing that that we actually can't fix this part of ourself that needs to be Redeemed, that needs to be saved, that needs to be changed. It's actually something that only God can do to make us whole. Because I think if we are really honest with ourselves, a lot of us, that inner ring, that identity ring, it's got a big question mark in it. That, that we're still trying to figure out who we are. And that question mark is founded in things like fear, doubt, shame, pride, and we don't actually know who we are. And we're, we're all trying to answer this, this inherent question that psychologists would agree, which is, am I worthy? Do I have what it takes? Am I enough? Can I be loved? Am I worth your affection? And we're all trying to answer this question of, am I worthy? In the cabbage soup diet, is a funny example of the lengths that we'll go to to try to change ourselves to become the person that we think the world is asking us to be so that eventually uh, maybe we'll be happy or maybe we'll be successful. And, and the crazy part about that is that, that our identity has already been proven to us by a God that loves us so much so that he sent his son for us. Our identity is that we're actually redeemed. We're actually loved. We're actually cared for. And what I'm hoping we get out of this is is how much we actually change and how much how we do things and what we do changes when our identity is secured into the people that God created us to be, who God believes you actually are. I have a real life example to kind of illustrate this from my own life. I've shared this before, but we got so many new people, this would be news to you. Um, but in elementary school, I was uh, legitimately bullied, like old school bullying. And f- from the grades of like four till six, 
Uh, I was mocked daily for being chubby. I was a chubby, big-skinned boy in elementary school. And, and for some reason, the elementary school elites uh, deemed that I was uncool, that Dave Poole was not cool at school. Okay, maybe that's why. Stupid rhymes, okay? I don't know why. But I was essentially abandoned and betrayed by many of my close friends. And I learned a few things. Unbeknownst uh, to my mom, who had no idea, I mean, I, we didn't talk about this until years later that I experienced this through elementary school, but every single day, this is not a gross exaggeration, every day, before I'd either leave the door of the house or leave the door of the car, she would call out after me as I was running away, and she'd say, David, I'd turn around, and she'd say, remember, you are a child of the king. And I can't tell you of the, of the days and times that, that I'd be at school and, and kids were teasing me and calling me names. And I'd actually just stand there. And you know what I thought to myself? I am a child of the king. I wore that. I believed that's who I was. Because I am. And so are you. When we accept Jesus into our lives and our hearts... We become heirs to the kingdom of heaven. That's who we are. That's our identity, that, that we are loved, that we are cared for, that, that it actually all doesn't fall on our shoulders. That God loved us enough that he sent his son for us. And when we write these messages, you know, it's encouraged, you know, think of a, an analogy or a metaphor or something that really kind of drives the point home. And what I love about uh, baptism Sundays is I'm talking about real change in, in changing uh, God changing who we are and on baptism Sundays you are the sermon illustration I mean at the end of the service we're going to see over 20 people uh, be the symbol of this life change that they're raised to do life and what I love about baptism Sundays is we get to hear some of those stories and what I love about stories is they're undeniable they're undebatable they're irrefutable when someone actually shares how God has actually changed them and changed their life. It's inspiring. So I want you to turn your attention to the screens as we hear a bit of Ken's story. Hi, Southside. My name is Ken. I grew up in a small town with my mom, dad, and two brothers. In our home, Christianity wasn't a big deal. We would do church on Christmas and sometimes Easter, but that was basically the full extent of my experience with God. When I turned 20, I moved to Abbotsford to attend firefighting school. It was in Abbotsford that I also met my future wife, Andrea. She grew up going to church and Christian schools, so faith was very real to her. She knew I wasn't really a Christian, so when we started to get more serious, she took me to a program called Alpha, which was geared towards people like me who had very little foundation in faith and lots of questions. Fast forward to 25, Andrea and I were married now with no kids just yet. It was at 25 when I first realized that something wasn't quite right. I remember a phone call in the middle of the night from my mom. On the phone, she told me that my dad had a heart attack and that the first responders were on the scene shocking his heart to get it beating again. My mind flashed all the times I'd done this same procedure on a call in someone else's home to someone else's family member. I could feel the intense emotion in those memories and from the experience I knew, the likelihood of him coming back was small. In my head, he was already dead and mentally and emotionally, I began to spiral into panic. 
Miraculously, my dad did end up recovering, but this event began an unhealthy obsession with the health and well-being of my loved ones. At 31, my first daughter was born, and Andrea said we needed to start actually to go to church. We both wanted to raise our children in faith, so we started looking for the right church to call home. Andrea's sister and brother-in-law had been attending Southside for quite some time and invited us to attend. From the moment we arrived, we knew that this was our kind of church. Everyone was welcoming, the kids' program was incredible, and Pastor Mike's messages were constantly filled with truth from God that we needed to hear. Unfortunately, at the age of 31, with the birth of my first daughter, I remember being exceptionally worried all the time. I ended up seeking treatment from a counselor, and for the first time, I officially had a diagnosis, purely obsessional OCD. My diagnosis of OCD is marked by intrusive and uncontrollable thoughts. It's less obvious than other forms of OCD where someone's behavior might tip you off. The disruptive patterns occur almost exclusively in my mind and led to an unhealthy obsession with potential catastrophes for my family. I told my psychiatrist at the time that I was one bad fire call away from completely losing control. I began taking medication for my diagnosis, but quickly realized they weren't working like the way I wanted them to so I turned to self-medicating through alcohol. Alcohol helped me quiet the worst-case scenarios I'd play out of my brain, and also helped me to forget the very real traumatic things I'd seen in my time as a firefighter. I hid my drinking from Andrea. She would come home from work and ask how I was doing and if I'd taken anything. And I'd lie and say I wasn't under the influence. I remember one day she actually checked the level of alcohol in a bottle and saw it had gone down, and she finally knew. I felt so ashamed that I had eroded our trust I was a hurting person who had hurt the person I loved the most. And still, Andrea responded like Jesus to me in that moment. She gave me the grace and forgiveness, and her commitment to me inspired me to quit drinking. I've had many ups and downs since then, times when I've been doing really well and other times where I've struggled a lot. Throughout all that time, I was attending church, but I hadn't really made my faith my own. We had just begun to step out and get further plugged into Southside through serving and community when COVID hit and the world shut down. I didn't worry too much about COVID until my family got sick with it. We all weathered it as well as we could, but on February 12th of this year, my son woke up with a sore neck. Andrea called me over to look at it, as neck swelling is a marker of meningitis, and my son had that as a newborn. I don't even remember looking at his neck. What I remember was a cascade of scenarios that hit me like a truck in my mind of all the traumatic moments I've experienced. I had a panic attack right then and there and knew that I was still far from okay. One Southside couple we know, Jamie and Jody McGarva, we also know because Jamie is a firefighter too. I remember one day scrolling on Instagram and seeing a post Jody had made. She probably had no idea that her words could impact her reader so deeply, but I remember her saying that no matter what happens, she can get through the day because she gives all her worries to God. She doesn't have to live those worries. The simple yet profound truth was one that I'd heard so many times before, but for whatever reason, it hit me differently coming from her in that moment. I wasn't fully living an abundant life with Jesus. I was going through the motions. Jesus wasn't the focus of my life or my marriage, and I knew that I needed to make a change. I remember that our church was having a baptism. I knew God was asking me to solidify the inner commitment I had to Him and to get baptized. So I signed up and committed to just that. Sunday, February 27th was a day I'll never forget. As my wife and children watched, I made that public declaration that I'm all in with my faith. I left my old self down in the water that day and came back up freed of it all. And I felt so thankful for God's forgiveness and a fresh start. I would love to say that getting baptized and progressing in my faith has made everything perfect, but that's not the reality of life. 
I recently ended up in a treatment facility for my mental health, but this time, I have seen God's hand working in my life so clearly. This time, a doctor has finally helped me connect my OCD to PTSD, a diagnosis I had never heard before, but one that has brought me a lot of clarity and relief. This time, I've been able to put Jesus at the center of my treatment and inviting him into every step has made the world of a difference. I even have a tool where if I begin to panic, I imagine a safe room in my mind when I'm all alone and Jesus is the first person to open the door and come in to help. Inviting God to be the leader of my life has given me more courage, clarity, grace, and calm than I ever thought possible for me. It's also given me an incredible community to grow alongside here at Southside. I'm looking forward to this next season with more faith and expectancy than I have in a long time. Andrea and I are fully leaning on God in our marriage and in life, knowing that on every hill and in every valley, we're not alone. Broken people break people, but healed people also heal. I want to be a light of hope in my workplace, a place where God is very rarely discussed. I want people to see my faith and know that there's something different about me. Throughout all my life, I knew God to be nothing more than a spiritual idea. I would clock in and clock out in church, never thinking too deeply about how Jesus' life affected mine. And now, now I know that God is healing, compassion, and grace. I know that His story changes mine. I know that because of His love, now I have the opportunity to show that love to others. I couldn't be more grateful or excited for what's to come. Great job, Ken. It's very cool to be a part of Ken's baptism. What I love about Ken's story is how he really changed when he stopped trying to focus on his own abilities, on trying to control everything in his life, and really just acknowledging who God is and that God's actually in control and just submitting to that in his life. I'm gonna invite everyone to bow their heads and the reason I want you to do that is because I want to just create a private moment of reflection with just you and me before God. And I just want to ask you a few things. In the book of John, it says that God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live and die and be resurrected for you. It says that when we believe in him, that we will have eternal life. But it goes on to say that, that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn it, but to save it through him. Now, I don't know what's brought you here today, whether it's, you know, friend or family member getting baptized. Uh, literally, maybe you just walked in from the street or tuned in online. I don't know. But I, I believe that God doesn't do things by coincidence or by mistake. I think there's purpose and everything. And I think, you know, we've been talking about identity, but I think maybe what you identify with is this reality that, man, the hustle just isn't enough. That, man, I've been trying my whole life to prove to myself and the world that I'm worthy, that I'm valuable. There's something so profound when we can come to a place where we recognize that it doesn't matter uh, what we have to do to try to prove to the world our worth and value, but that that has actually already been paid in full by a God who loves us through his son, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus was sent. He lived this perfect and sinless life. 
And he was a spotless lamb that was sacrificed for our sin. And he was crucified on a Roman cross. And in that moment, there was this great exchange. His life for our sin. So that through his resurrection, we could be redeemed into the whole people, into right relationship with God. It was God's master plan to save you. And that's your identity. That you are worth dying for. That you are worth saving. Think about the things we save, things that are, that are valuable, things that are sentimental to us, things that we treasure and cherish, and that's you. That's you. That's what God thinks of you, that he sent his son to be a sacrifice for you so that you could find life. And not just life forever, but life for right now. And maybe you've been strolling through that, that pattern of the world. I mean, Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means we have to step into new life. And maybe you've been a part of that struggle where you've, been, you've just been grinding and you've tried to crush those goals and you've just been trying to work harder and harder to prove that your identity is that you're valuable and maybe the world will accept you and maybe you will feel complete. And you've come to this realization that enough isn't actually enough. And that is actually the point. That he is enough for you. That we can't do it on our own shoulders, on our own power that we're created to be in relationship with him and we are made strong through Jesus Christ and I know there's people in this room and online that you need to take this step today and just open your heart and accept that mercy and that grace and that forgiveness and you need to lay that pride and shame and guilt at the cross and just accept this free gift of salvation and if that's you online or in this room, I simply want to invite you as all these eyes are closed because I don't want this to be private between you and God and I want to just acknowledge you so I can pray with you. If that's you, just simply raise your hand nice and high so I can see it, so that I can pray for you. I see that hand up there. I see that other hand. I see these hands up front. So I'm going to say a prayer and if, you, if your hands are raised, you can put them down. And I'm going to say this out loud, and I invite you to pray it privately in your heart. So let's pray. Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus, I want to invite you into my heart, into my whole life. That I want you to forgive my sins so that I can be the person that you created me to be that I can believe in this identity that, that I am worth it, that I am saved, that you love me. So Jesus, I invite you into my life and into my heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can we celebrate that, church? If you just prayed that prayer, even if you're online, I want you to take out your phone either now or during baptism or maybe after the service and text us the word LIFE, L-I-F-E, to our number 604-670-3040. And the reason I'm asking you to do that is that we want to support you. We want to encourage you. 
We want to be available to you to answer questions you might have about this new step of faith and this journey kind of set before you. And we're a family, and so we just want to support and encourage you in that. But I want to share something else, and it's that, that I think we have, especially even the people that just put up their hands, we have an easier time trusting God with our eternity through salvation and still struggle to trust God with our identity. That we actually struggle to believe in our heart that we are loved, that we are cared for, that God is actually in control. And I wanna illustrate this with a a quick story uh, about Lazarus. See, Lazarus was a close friend of Jesus. We know this because the Bible says that Jesus really cared for him. And Lazarus was really ill, and his sisters, Martha and Mary, had had gotten word to Jesus that he was really sick and that he, he needed to come and hopefully heal him. And Jesus, unfortunately, was, was too late, and Lazarus had already passed away. And, and he, he was dead for some time. And Jesus says in, in John 11, he, he, he asks Martha Mary, take me to his grave. And he says, he stood up front, and he commanded in a loud voice, he said, Lazarus, come out. And the Bible says that the dead man walked out of the grave, still wrapped in strips of linen, and his head clothed. And all it says next is Jesus simply commanded them. He said, take off his grave clothes and let him go. And I think that's where we struggle. Is I think we've stepped out of the grave into this new life, into this newness. But we still look like our old self. Because we're still carrying around the things that defined us before. These grave clothes. I think a modern word for grave clothes is, is, is labels. I think a label is something that we either hide behind or we use to cover up those insecurities and fears in our lives. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned for the first time before God. And it says that that they were ashamed of their nakedness and they covered themselves with fig leaves to hide their shame from God. And I think we do the same thing with with these labels. And Jesus told told the sisters, he said, take that stuff off of him. He's not a dead man, he is alive. And, And I think we do the same thing. So I don't know what you hide behind or what you used to cover up. It might be that you're ashamed, that you feel guilty, uh, that you have fear and doubt in your lives. Maybe it's success, popularity, achievement, kind of this, this fig leaf that you're covering up yourself from your real self from the world. And Jesus says, take that off. I've died for you so you can step into new life. And so what that means, and it's symbolic today in baptism, that, that as we come up out of the water, Jesus, just as Jesus was raised from the dead, that we're raised into new life. And we should look different. And I don't know what it is for you. Uh, maybe you were ashamed, and now you need to believe that you've actually been forgiven. Maybe you were just so lost, and now you need to believe that you've been found. Maybe you're like Ken and you're just so 
anxious and so wound up and you need to believe that through Jesus you've been set free. Maybe you've been abandoned. You need to believe that you will never ever be alone again. We already talked about it before. Do not be transformed by the pattern, or do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing of your mind. It means we need to think differently. We need to truly believe that we are the people that Jesus came to save, that we are redeemed, we are saved. I wanna talk specifically to the men. I know we all struggle, I know everyone struggles with this, but I think, I think as men, we really struggle to acknowledge our weakness. And, and we strive so hard to prove to our friends, our spouse, our kids, our coworkers, our neighbors, that man, we got it, that we're man enough, that we can provide, that we can take care, we can take charge. And we short circuit ourselves because our real value is that we're actually loved. That's our identity, that we don't actually have to prove anything to anyone. I shared that story of when I was eight years old and the kids used to call me Fatso and Jelly Billy and I believed that I was a child of the king. You know what that did for me? Because in that season I should have been insecure. I should have become depressed. I should have become anxious. I should have become isolated. I should have started hating people. But I believed that I was an heir to the throne of heaven, that I had value because Jesus said so. And we're all children of the King. And I explained how I wanna be a, a faith-filled example for my kids, my family. And, and, and we do that by following Jesus, by taking whatever step he's placed in front of us one step at a time. And it's not because we need to like achieve some level of like Christian hierarchy. It's because we need to be close with Jesus and believe what he says about us. Because it's through him that we'll be changed. It's through him that we'll be transformed. The Bible calls it morphing that we actually change to become the men and women that God created us to be, that we actually live out the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, love, joy, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, self-control, generosity. And guys, I don't know what obstacle might be in your way of taking this step today of baptism. But I just want to encourage you to be bold and to be strong and to believe in the value that God has placed in your life. And when we actually believe that, that's why we get baptized. It's so we can die to our old selves, we can die to that effort, the strive, the hustle, the pride, and become new every day. And, and this is true for all of us. You know, we're gonna transition into baptism in a second, so hey, if you're getting dunked, now's a great time to line up and the band's gonna come out on stage as we're getting ready to celebrate. But I wanna really charge you that baptism is a step that God has placed in all of our journeys. I don't know what God has in plan for the rest of your life, but I know that if you believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior in your life, 
that your next step is baptism. It's a, an outward of expression of this inward commitment, this inward belief that Jesus is Lord of our lives and that as we are raised up out of the water, as Jesus was resurrected, that we're raised to new life, that we get to leave all those labels behind, that we get to leave that old self, the grave clothes behind. And I know there are so many people in here that have yet to take this step. And I just charge you to, to be bold and to be strong and to step out in faith and the belief that Jesus loves and cares for you and that he is in control. And we've removed every obstacle, every excuse that you might give me. We're streaming live to the world right now. No one's gonna miss it. Your family member in Australia, they will not miss it. We'll put it on YouTube. They'll watch it every week. We've got towels. We've got to change the clothes in every size because we really believe it is simple to be believe and be baptized. You don't need to get to a step in your life. You don't need to clean up your life, fall into whatever thing you believe you need to do to take the step. The only step you need to take is out of the aisle and into the tank. And we'd love to walk with you today and see you step into this beautiful, amazing, full and abundant life that God created for us that's who we are. Saved, redeemed, loved, and cared for. Why don't you stand, join me, and celebrate with the band as we see all of these people take the next step of baptism. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.